Our text will be in Mark chapter 10. I want to be, uh, read beginning in verse 6 down through verse 16. Mark chapter 10, starting in verse 6. This is Jesus speaking here. and Anytime Jesus speaks, we need to listen, right? What He says is important. So let's see what He has to say today. Mark chapter 10, verse 6. But from the beginning of the creation... God made them male and female. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. And they twain shall be one flesh. So then they are no more twain but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. And in the house his disciples asked him again of the same matter. And he saith unto them, Whosoever shall put away his wife and marry another committeth adultery against her. And if a woman shall put away her husband and be married to another, she committeth adultery. And they brought young children to him that he should touch them. And his disciples rebuked those that brought them. But when Jesus saw it, he was much displeased and said unto them, Suffer the little children to come unto me and forbid them not. For of such is the kingdom of God. Verily I say unto you, Whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child... He shall not enter therein. And he took them up in his arms and put his hands upon them and blessed them. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father, we come to you today. We are thankful for all that you've done and thankful for the many blessings you've given us. Thank you once again for all the mothers who are in attendance and just the blessing that they have been to our lives, Lord. And we thank you for them. And I ask now that you please be with us as we come to the time of preaching, that you would help our hearts to be open, that we might hear what you have to say about the family. Help me to speak true to your word and nothing more, nothing less. I ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. It's good to spend a day to honor mothers, just as it is good to spend a day to honor fathers and I believe there's a grandparents' day and every day's children's day. They don't need their own they don't need their own holiday. Any parent will tell you every waking moment is children's day. But it's good to honor those who have, have given a lot of sacrifice to to raise us. And today we honor mothers. God knew what he was doing when he designed the woman as he did, for all those things that we spoke about just a moment ago. The care and the tenderness and the the concern that's in a mother that's not necessarily in a father the way it is in a woman's heart. God knew what he, was des- what he was doing when He designed the woman. It's part of that creation that God said is very good. You remember that? God made all that He made and when He stepped back and looked at it, He said, that is very good. Part of that is the design God has placed in woman. You can see it in the workings of creation around us, even though it's marred by sin. It's still beautiful, isn't it? We can see it in the wonder of the animal kingdom and all the amazing things that is there. We can see it in humanity. There's no mistaking that God's design is good. And at the very start, before sin, before the fall, God did something very important. He instituted the very basic building block of all society, the family. The very basic building block of human society is the family unit. I mean, you can maybe see two things there, marriage and the family, but those are all really kind of one and the same. 
the family. A man and a woman who unite themselves spiritually and physically for the rest of their lives and who produce and raise children who repeat the process. This so fundamental, it's something we kind of forget about. That's how the human race carries on. That's how societies are built. In fact, without that, without that unit, society crumbles. Society stops. If people stop having kids, society stops. And study after study shows that things like crime rate or mental health or um, self-worth, self-happiness are really tied into this very basic structure of society. When the family goes wrong, society goes wrong. And you have problems in society if there's problems in the home. Does that make sense? This is how very foundational this, this thing that God institutes is. And God made it and His design in it is good. It is made for love. It is made for safety. It is made for stability and security. It is a source of joy. I did a little interview during class with some of the kids and I asked them some questions that we'll talk about this afternoon. But <laughs> you have a lot of fun as a family, don't you? Well, I hope you do. I hope you do. I hope you don't sit around the house straight-faced and saying, ho-hum, what shall we eat for dinner tonight, you know? I hope you're having fun and laughing and making memories because there's things I can look back at, at just our little family and it makes me laugh, it makes me smile. A family is a source of joy too, isn't it? Not just safety and security and stability and all that, but it's a source of happiness. Marriage is a source of happiness. Children are a source of happiness. It's such a good gift given to us by God. And His design in it is good. And listen now. It's one that's becoming more and more scarce. More than half of all marriages end in divorce nowadays. You have a one in two chance, a five in ten chance, just about of your marriage surviving and not ending in divorce. Children's are being raised in broken homes, bouncing back between one house and the other and one parent and the other parent and... Something gets lost in that mix. That sense of stability and that sense of security. Which often leads to repetition of that cycle. Kids raised in a broken home will most likely perpetuate that broken home. Because that's what they know. And that does not do good for society. Add to that the new onslaught of anti-God and anti-biblical beliefs and statements about human sexuality and marriage and the family, we can see that this precious cornerstone of civilization is in deep trouble. Deep trouble. And we, beloved, as the church of God, ought to fight for the family. We should be the ones on the front lines standing for the truth, fighting for husbands and wives and fathers and mothers and children, fighting for the absolute truth of God's Word as it has been revealed for us, as of the design of God that it is good. Listen, you can bury your head in the sand. You can uh, not pay attention to things that are going on, but the family is under attack. Actually, it has been from the day one. Why do you think the serpent, Satan, went to Eve and not Adam? He's looking for the weak links. He's looking for the ways that he can get in. 
And since that day in the Garden of Eden, the battle has raged. Maybe in different areas or hotter at times in different time periods. If there was any subtlety, if there was any uh, sneak attacks by Satan, those are gone. You know that, right? There's no sneaking around now. Today it's a full-out frontal assault on the family. From marriage to children, the preciousness of children, to to human sexuality, all of those things. Full-on, unashamed attack. The strongholds that Jesus... Or God, well, Jesus and God have put in place from the beginning are under fire and Satan wants the family to fall because if the family falls, society falls, everything falls. <laughs> you, do you realize you can look out in this world and someone may not even love God, someone may reject God, someone may never go to church, but if they have a spouse, a husband or a wife, and they have children... That is a marker and a telltale of God's design right there. They are showing by their family the existence of God, the love of God, some very important principles that we'll speak of in in a few minutes when we get to the end. So you can see why Satan wants to take it away, right? Will we stand and declare the truth? Will we cease being silent and start being bold about the truth? That's what we need to do. So this morning, I want to take a look at a core principle just for a few minutes of what we believe and practice. Last week, we looked at God, who not only is our Lord and Creator, but has loved us enough to redeem us as part of who we are, right? The story of the gospel about God loves us so much to save us. Well, I want to take another look at one of our core principles, and that is the family. And There's so many places we could go. I just want to hit some major points as we look at this passage, you might look at this passage and say, why are we here? I mean, we could be a lot of other places like Ephesians chapter 5 or Colossians chapter 3. Why did we come here? Well, let me give you a couple of reasons. First, we believe that Jesus is God, right? So every word that Jesus says is God speaking. He is the very word of God with us. So when he speaks, it is absolute truth. So that means every word he says is important. And, and right here he makes some very important statements about the family. Actually what it is is a discussion about divorce. He's responding to some questions that have been posed to him. I don't want to spend time on that. I want to look deeper into some things that he says. Some things that he affirms. When Jesus, who is God with us, recognizes some, some very foundational things to be true, it means it is true. If Jesus says it's true, then it is true. Everybody with me? Look at verse 6. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. I have to say this. In 2021, with all of our advanced learning and all of our scientific knowledge, in 2021, I have to say this. Spurgeon didn't have to say it a couple hundred years ago. The Reformers, even though we're not part of them and and there's a whole story in that, but the reformers, even as they're they're um, coming, or not, they're discovering things that are already in Scripture, like uh, faith alone and grace alone and Scripture alone. These great things, they're not having to fight the battle and say the things that we're having to say. I have to say it: there are only two genders. 
there's not three or 39 or 52 or 100 plus. There's only two genders, male and female, and God made them that way in the beginning. In the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Nothing has changed. Doesn't matter how people feel about it. Doesn't matter how people feel about themselves. Does not change the fact that God has made male and female. Jesus affirmed it here some 4,000, 5,000 years after creation, and now 2,000 years later, it's still the same. Nothing's changed. There are only two. I really shouldn't have to go in depth with this. In fact, I'm not going to. It's that simple. I have no doubt that there are people in our lives maybe dealing with issues. Uh, People looking for identity or looking for self-worth. And they may have faced some terrible things that have left them scarred and hurting. Of that, I have no doubt. And that can breed a lot of different things. Of this, I also have no doubt that the biblical truth that is proclaimed here is also backed up 100% unequivocally by true scientific provable fact. There are only two genders. You are either male or female. And what I have just said is to some is hate speech now today. In fact, they call what I, the statements that I have just made, the statements the Bible makes, gender ideology. That it is, it is prescribing to an ideology that there are only two. May I say that the reverse is true. You're prescribing to an ideology that there is more than two genders, which is provable fact. Does that make sense? I don't hold to the ideology. I hold to the truth. People that don't like this call this transphobia. Hate speech, gender ideology, um, a whole host of other things. Label the truth whatever you want, it's still the truth. It's still the truth. And I would say, if you say it's different, prove it to me. I'll wait. (laughs) You're not going to find it. And if you have a doubt, well, don't take a rocket scientist. I can tell you how to find out. I can give you an equipment checklist and you can just settle that once and for all if you need help. There are only two genders. And while I make a little bit light of it, at the same time we shouldn't because this is a marker. This mindset that we live in today is a marker of the damage of sin. How much it has wrecked people to this way of thinking, right? The reprobate, debased mind of Romans chapter 1 that just comes up with anything. It shows how much the society around us needs God. Right? And we don't bend to say, well, that's okay. Well, maybe. No. We reach them with the truth of God. Hey, God made you who you are. You are a wonderful, uh, fearfully and wonderfully made creation of God. That means He loves you. We affirm the truth of Scripture. And Jesus says it right there pretty simply. From the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Jesus affirms the good design of God in creation. And He says it's for a purpose. You see, God made male and female for a reason. And that reason is marriage. And in the next verse, he affirms marriage as God-designed and God-given. Look at verse 7. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, shall cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh, so then that they are no more twain or two, but one flesh. The two becoming one. Only God can come up with something that wonderful. I think of marriage and just... I think of my marriage, and all I can say is, wow, God is so good. 
God is so good. What a beautiful thing. What a beautiful relationship we have with our spouse, right? Every one of you better be saying amen if your spouse is sitting next to you. <laughs> but it's amazing, isn't it? The depth of love. The, the, the companionship. Um, that only comes from the mind of God. And it's in His purpose, in His design. God made that. From the very moment God made Eve and brought her to Adam. Just a beautiful picture. Look. Look what I've made. Here is someone who is designed just for you. You feel that about your husband or your wife? I do. God brought her to me. And now I have this wonderful, beautiful thing that has been instituted and honored by God. And again, there are simple statements made by Jesus that affirm the truth. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave to his what? His wife. That's very simple. Marriage is between a man and a woman. A man leaves his home, a woman leaves her home, and the two become one. It is between a man and a woman, meaning anything else is a deviation from the design of God. Anything else doesn't work. Period. It doesn't work. Spiritually, physically, it doesn't work. I'm amused when people say things like, Jesus never spoke about homosexuality. You'll hear that quite a bit. Jesus never said anything against homosexuality, so that's an Old Testament thing He did away with. Jesus would accept them and that as a way of life. That is incorrect, because right here He affirms what marriage is between a man and his wife. Jesus also does... Something else, he points to the judgment of Sodom and Gomorrah. You remember when he says that? It'll be more tolerable for Sodom in the day of judgment than it will for you. He says that several times. Well, if he points back to the judgment of Sodom and Gomorrah, then Jesus is affirming that account in the book of Genesis is true. And that means when God says in Genesis 18.20 that the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah is grievous, that's true. It also means... That sin in chapter 19, which we find out is rampant homosexuality, that is judged by God in the form of fire and brimstone, is true and right. Jesus didn't need to speak about it. He's simply affirming what was already there in Scripture. These principles already there. Marriage is understood biblically to be between a man and a woman, and anything else is a deviation from the design. It misses the mark of the original design. You know what another way to define missing the mark is? Three-letter word. Starts with S. Sin. That is, in fact, exactly the definition of sin. Missing the mark. God set the mark here. We deviate from it. We are sinning. We are falling from the glory God intended it for. So anything less than God's original design in marriage is a deviation. And the world tells us we are to honor a marriage between two men or two women. And my world, what's coming next? Between a man and a child or a woman and a child. That's just a step away. You'll see that. You'll hear that. That's what we're moving towards. What once used to be disgusting 20, 30, 40 years ago now is normal. And what is disgusting today 
will become accepted by and by if they keep pushing. All of it a deviation, sin, disgusting from the original design of God. God gave us a beautiful design, a man and a woman united together in this beautiful thing called marriage. And God has given within that a structure as He calls the husband to lovingly lead and provide for the family, to to look over and to protect his family, his wife to stand by his side as, as she cares for the home and supports her husband. And that's been under attack too for a long time. Think of shows you've seen. It's, it'd probably be better if you just got rid of the TV. <laughs> but think, this is starting way back. Fred and Wilma, Barney and Betty, best of Flintstones, by the way. Bumbling husbands, clear-headed, leading wives, Homer and Marge. I'm thinking of Everybody Loved Raymond. What, anybody see that show? Right? Deborah. That her name was Deborah and Ray. How the husband is portrayed as this weak, bumbling idiot who never can get anything right, but the wife, she's right on. Showing that this is how the family should be. Sometimes that's the case. <laughs> Sometimes families are like that. But this is being put at as this is what's normal. It may be subtle, but that's been an attack on the family, slowly but surely. Add to that all the other junk that is chipping away at the biblical structure. God's given a good design, and when we follow it, it works. And it's for our benefit, and it's for our good. But every area of it is under attack. And listen, I, I don't, we don't have time to get into it this morning. I know things go wrong. I know there are things that, done can be de- there are, things that are done that can destroy And God gives provision for that. Things like abuse or adultery. and I get that, okay? I get that. And I understand people have faced some very hard things. But you understand that's not the intention of God. That's not in His design. His design is that we... Is that we are to be married to our spouse for life and to raise a godly family that will do the same. In fact, let's move on. I want, to see, I want you to see this in the next verse. Verse 9. Wherefore, what God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. In the house, his disciples asked him again. Verse 11. He says this. Whosoever shall put away his wife and marry another committeth adultery against her. And if a woman shall put away her husband and be married to another, she committeth adultery. Do you get the tone? The tone that I get, there's some specifics we could talk about, but he's saying, hey, the family is sacred. It's not to be broken. This is something that is important. It's not a throwaway piece of trash like it is in today's world. The family is not sacred today. People take it lightly. So many a man has thrown it away for fleeting pleasures. So many a woman has been drawn away because of some discontent in her own heart. And it's left a trail of broken homes and broken societies in its wake. And Jesus saying, hey, this is important. You don't break this gift from God. It's sacred. What is the number one reason for divorce? I didn't write it down. It's banging around in the back of my head. 
That's it. Irreconcilable differences. I find that funny. I don't mean to be insensitive. I find that funny. Welcome to life. Welcome to a household with two sinners united together trying to get through life. There's going to be some irreconcilable differences. You know what? Guess what? I, I, I love my wife more than anything and everyone except Jesus. And I'm a pastor of a church. She's a pastor's wife. But guess what? We have some irreconcilable differences. Can you imagine that? I do not like fried Brussels sprouts. I think they stink. I do not like shrimp or lobster. I'm not going to change on that. God can give me grace, but I don't think... I don't think... Can a leper change his spots? No, I can't like some of that stuff. She does not like the Grateful Dead or bluegrass music or black coffee. Can you imagine that? Those things ain't going to change. They haven't changed in 20 years. They're not going to change... Now, what do we do? Well, we have irreconcilable differences. Should we just end it? Oh, woe is me. We can't agree. Come on, people. You work through the problems. You fight for your family. You have a little grace. In fact, you have the same grace that God has given you. Doing as Ephesians chapter 4 says... Forgiving each other, even as Christ has forgiven you. You can go through a lot of things in marriage. And a lot of things will try, Satan will try to throw you off track with a lot of things in your marriage. But you know what? If you stick close to God and you forgive and you have grace, you'll find you can overcome irreconcilable differences. Too many today just throw it aside. That's the attitude of the day. You don't like the car- carpet color I chose or the dress I'm wearing? Out. Right? No, it is a sacred thing. That's the sense, the deep sense of what I think Christ is saying here. What God has joined together, what God has made, don't let man break it up. Don't, if, it's a big deal when that happens because it is such a sacred thing. Hebrews chapter 13 says, Marriage is honorable in all and the bed undefiled. All of humanity. Marriage is honorable. Why? Because that is a design given to us by God and it is a sacred thing. It's worth fighting for, isn't it? It's worth fighting for. And there's a couple reasons which we're going to end on here in just a few minutes why it's so sacred why it's so special. But I want you to notice one more thing. Verse 13 here in our text. And they brought young children to Him. We're talking, this age range can be from little toddlers to babies to a little bit older. They brought young children to Him that He should touch them and His disciples rebuked those that brought them. Leave Jesus alone. Put the kids away. I'm glad our kids take part in church. I'm glad we've got young men as ushers. I'm glad the kids get up here and sing. I'm glad I hear babies squawking every once in a while in church. That's a good thing because it means we're raising up our children to be part of this body. It's so many... How do I say this without being offensive? And Why do I care? Children's church is like what I'm seeing here. No, go over here. What does Jesus say? No, bring them here. Let him sit here. Let him learn. 
You see his attitude toward No, suffer the children to come to me. Don't forbid them, for such is the kingdom of God. And whosoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a little child shall not enter. There's a lot we can learn there, but it's this last thing. What does he do? He took them up in his arms and put his hands upon them and blessed them. There's a little song I used to sing. Maybe you did too. Jesus loves the little children. The product of marriage is children. And that is a blessing and a purpose given to it at the start when God says fill the earth. It's good and pleasing in the sight of God. Here our Lord takes them up in His arms and blesses them, which tells me exactly how He views them. You see, Jesus doesn't see them as a financial burden or as a cramp on our style or a hindrance from us doing what we really want to do or as an unwanted consequence that we can just get rid of and make everything easier. That's by far, by far, the number one reason people have an abortion. Because they're viewing as the blessed product of what God has designed for marriage to be a blessing. They are viewing that product, the child, as an unwanted consequence so they can do what they want. And so they'll end the life of the child, which I believe begins at conception. Psalm 139 says, You have knit me together in my mother's womb. You see what happens when you start breaking God's design? Everything goes haywire. It's not just about having sex when you want to before marriage. Now it's about killing babies too. Somebody ought to stand up and say, hey, enough's enough. This is what God says. This is God's design. This is God's good plan that is good for you and brings you joy if we would follow it. Children are such a blessing, such a responsibility, but such a blessing. So many good memories. You know, I thought my heart had a capacity. My heart's capacity to love was filled up when I got married. And just enjoying our several years together, I thought, man, how am I going to love anybody more than I love my wife? And then the kids come along and you, wow, it's a whole different love, right? Now we have this these two precious souls together. Such a responsibility. We could go into talking about how we ought to raise them right. They notice. They notice everything you do. Dang it. <laughs> they notice everything. <laughs> they hear everything. Some, why didn't a parent invent uh, parent talk earmuffs yet? When you get in the car, put these on so you can't hear what <laughs> what we're talking about. They listen to everything and they repeat it at the worst times. They're listening to everything. They watch you, how you read the Bible or don't, or how you pray or don't, or how you worship, how you speak of others, how you love your spouse. They notice, and here's what's going, here's what, here's the impact. They're going to most likely repeat what they see. Train up a child on the way he should go and when he's old, he will not depart from you. You can speak a lot about that, but the way you're going to train them up is by them watching you. So the family needs to be right. The husbands need to be husbands and wives, wives, and all that goes along with that. 
I want to end in Ephesians chapter 5. Can you go there if you would, please? So we understand the present blessing that a family is. The love we have for our spouse, the love we have for our children, the joy that it brings and the joy of joy of family, even outside of our own nuclear family, the, the grandparents and brothers and sisters and all that, right? It's a blessing. It's all a blessing. And we understand that. All the good that comes from it right here and right now. But do you understand even in that, There is a deeper truth. It is a picture, a deeper picture of a spiritual truth. Ephesians chapter 5, you know this passage. Again, there's so much here we could pull out and spend time on. I'm not going to do that this morning. We're almost done. I want you to look past some of the instruction to these things that Paul throws in there. Verse 22, Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with washing of water by the word that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherisheth it, even as the Lord, the church. For we are members of his body and of his flesh and of his bones. Have you ever stopped to think about that? Members of his body and his flesh, his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined into his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself, and see the and the wife see that she reverence or respect her husband. By the way, you want a freebie? You want the secret to a happy, healthy marriage? You want the key? I won't charge you for it. I won't even make you read any books. It's verse 33. Ephesians 5.33 is the secret to a happy marriage. Husbands love your wives. Wives respect your husbands. You get that right, you're good. (laughs) You'll be able to hurdle anything that comes along. But do you see the deeper truth that Paul weaves in and lays over it all? Marriage is a wonderful thing and there's such beauty and love in it. And all these things we feel, we experience, we know. And all of it is a symbol or a picture, a representation of God's deeper love for us. Specifically, Christ and the church. He loves us so much that He gave Himself for us. That He he is working in us to present it to Himself, a glorious church. We are members of His body, His flesh, His bones. We are that connected to Christ just as closely as you are connected to your spouse. We are connected to Christ spiritually through the church. That should help it come alive. And it, it takes it to a whole nother level than just coming here and singing some, some songs and sitting through a sermon and then going on our merry way. No, it begins. Uh, I hope we begin to see 
wow, God loves me more than I can ever imagine. That He loves me more than I love my spouse. And I can be connected closer to Him than I can even with my own spouse. And all that love and that that safety and security is just a picture of the higher spiritual truths. Wow. The Creator of all things loves us that way. You may have come from a wonderful and strong family, or maybe not. Maybe you come from a broken home, or you know the wreck of divorce, or you come from a family that is shattered and some of this talk about what a family is, uh, uh, what a family is to be, is sounds like a pipe dream. Like, yeah, right. Can I tell you today, God's love is true. God's love never fails, and God, God loves you in that way. Though your father may have failed, though your mother may have failed, God never does, and He's never going to leave or abuse or any of that. In fact. He offers you love beyond all measure. And He offers you a true family. You see, we have more than a physical family. We have God's family here, don't we? All that God put in place at the start, affirmed here by Jesus, is a picture of our spiritual relationship with Him. A living, breathing, tangible picture of the relationship that God desires to have with you and me through His people. We call Him Father, don't we? We talk to Him in that way. The Spirit, uh, excuse me, uh, Romans chapter 8 says we, we cry through the Spirit, Abba, Father. Just as the little one does to their parents, Daddy or Mommy, right? We know what it's like to have a relationship with God like that, I hope. But have you, have you ever talked to Him and bared your soul? Have you ever told him what's down deep within your heart? Much like you would talking to your spouse. Have you done that lately? Do we even think of God in a closeness like that? Well, didn't we just read in Ephesians chapter 5, this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. We can have that relationship with him if we would simply come to Him in faith and follow. So that's why we fight, isn't it? We fight for the truth of what the family is because a godly husband shows the godly relationship we have with Christ. The godly wife portrays our uh, following of Him. The godly family is a picture of God's love for us. And we must fight Standing for the truth of the family. You realize the first battleground might be your house. We got bars on the doors. We got locks on the doors. We got locks on the windows, right? Maybe even an alarm system or those ring cameras that tell you half an hour later if somebody's at your door, packages has already come and gone. And I don't know. thought it was cool at first. It blows. It, it, uh, it alerts you on the second for anything that the wind blows. But when somebody's actually at your door, it doesn't work. We go to great lengths to try to protect our house. You realize the thief might not come through the front door. The thief might come through a screen. The TV screen or your cell phone screen. Guard your heart. What enemy you let in to destroy the family. 
The off button is a good button. Just saying. Guard your heart as you go out to the world. The attacks that are going to come that may seem innocent, they may seem no big deal. Guard your heart, wife. Guard your heart, husband. Build biblical foundations in your home. Fight for the family on the front line. And secondly, let me finish with this. Secondly, we ought to not just be careful and protect and guard our own family. We ought to engage society around us with the truth. And that's probably where we failed most, and that's what scares us to death. To go and not sit back silently. And there's ways we can do it. Voting, writing Congress, being president city council meetings when these laws are being talked about. The church ought to be a voice for truth in these matters. But here's another step too. Engage people on a personal basis. In love. Not with snide remarks. Not looking down our nose. But with love. And has anybody heard the name Rosario Butterfield? Some of you may have. Listen now. A lesbian and a gay activist in the 90s. Front lines. Highly educated professor. Became friends with a pastor. Met him, had acquaintances. You know what the pastor did and his wife? Why don't you come over for dinner and get to know us? No conversations about homosexuality. No conversations about this is sin. Just showing love by hospitality. That continued. Just having dinner. Showing love and caring. That led to those conversations. Which led to a conversion. She's now married and a pastor's wife who writes book after book with the need of the Christian community to engage the world around them with genuine, heartfelt love. That's how doors are opened. Not by standing outside of things with snide signs that we've all seen about who God hates and who He doesn't. It's engaging the community with love and saying in a loving tone, hey, this is how God made you. And God loves you. You might be surprised what God can do in someone's life if we would reach out. That's part of fighting for the family. Is taking the truth to people around us. People that so desperately need it need to hear it. Whatever way we can, we must stand for the family because His design is good and this broken, confused, loveless society needs it now more than ever. And we'll continue to preach it. We'll continue to defend it because His design for the family is good. Let's pray. Father, I thank You for Your grace and Your mercy. I ask, Lord, that You would use now the words of this message in seeing Your design for the family. Lord, I thank You for your grace in it and your love and your good design. Lord, help us to stand firmly on the truth of your word and to take that word to those around about us. Lord, if there's any here that does not know you in that way as a father and as a friend and the closeness that you offer, Lord, I pray now that you would draw their heart, that they may confess their sins and believe in Jesus and be saved. 
become your child and follow and become part of your people, Lord. Do the work that I cannot do through your Spirit, Lord, and just be with us as we go through the rest of this day. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.